Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Um, we've been doing a series here in our church on the parables of Jesus in the Bible. And we've been specifically looking in the last couple weeks at the book of uh, Matthew in the 13th chapter. And if you're a note taker and you want to know what today is about, today's message is simply this. We're going to look today at a kingdom where the small and the hidden, hidden, where the small and the hidden can become great. Where the small and the hidden can become great. And I want to start with a story. Maybe you've heard about it, but this gentleman was stuck in a dead-end job and strapped for money. His name was Kyle McDonald. And Kyle came up with an improbable plan. Starting with one red paperclip, he would trade that paperclip on the, on the internet until he exchanged it for a house. Did you ever hear about this? So first he traded the red paperclip for a fish-shaped pen. Next he traded it for the pen for a doorknob. And then he traded the doorknob for a Coleman stove. And then he traded the Coleman stove for an electric generator. By the way, as I read the story, I thought some of these other people were idiots. But I oh, know, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, sorry. Yeah, they were just nice, exactly. That's true. And then he traded the electric generator for a Budweiser sign and a keg of beer. And you knew he was moving on because he didn't just settle there. He didn't drink it. He, he kept going. And then he traded that keg of beer for a snowmobile. Exactly one year, exactly one year and 14 trades later, he finally reached his goal. He exchanged a part in a Hollywood movie for a home in Saskatchewan, Canada. The true story of Kyle McDonald is told in his book, One Red Paperclip. Now, the book is being made into a movie, and I don't think that's it's happened yet, but that's part of the, the plan. And in what's come to his life is fame, fortune, a book, a movie deal, and a home. And it all began with one red paperclip. Pretty incredible, huh? Some of you right now are coming up with schemes in your mind, like, I don't have a paperclip, but I do have a rock, right? But um, really what this demonstrates to us is where we're going today, and that is that God takes the small things in our lives. He takes small things in your heart, in your life, the things that you think are insignificant, that God could never work with, and He expands them and grows them and brings beautiful things out of them. Amen? Look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 with me, um, and this is talking about a specific thing that would happen with the exiles of Judah that returned to rebuild the temple. But I want you to see the principle. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So at that time, they were trying to rebuild the temple and they were disappointed with what they were experiencing. They didn't think it matched the previous temple. And, and some of the people that lived at that time were despising the little thing that was in front of them. And the word of the prophet very clearly to them was, don't despise small beginnings. And I guess where I want to start with your life today is you might think that the work of God in you is small. You might think that not much is happening, that you don't have much to offer, that you don't have much to bring to the table, as you said, Pastor Jeff, that you don't have what it takes. But I want to tell you today that God takes small things, His kingdom, and He plants it inside of us, 
and it works and does something profound that will affect not only our lives, but our families, our friends, our coworkers. And it's like the pebble in the pond. It goes in the pond and creates ripples, and those ripples go on, not just for your lifetime, but for many, many generations to come. Some of you have no idea the impact and the effect that your life is going to have on the lives of others. Amen? So as we get into this today, what I want you to see and kind of at the center of this message is that God works in and through small things and common people. He loves to work his kingdom life and his kingdom power into significant and hidden things in people. He loves to take small seeds and grow large things. He loves to take hidden influences and affect great change in our world. We're going to look at two short parables about a mustard seed and yeast. And we're going to see that God grows big things out of small things. So let's look at the main text, Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. And it's going to be in the NIV version. Look at it with me on the screen. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. He's using parables. He says in verse 31, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now today, I have brought with me some mustard seeds. Have any of you ever seen mustard seed? You can buy it right over here at Safeway. They're really tiny. I mean, I mean, can you, can you, well, it got stuck in my, the crease of my hand. Okay. Can any of you see it? No. Well, there it went. Okay. Just so you know. Whoa. Did you get hit? That was the goal. So I'm throwing mustard seed out there and I, and I just want you to know this stuff's tiny right? And, and you, can't even, you can't even see it as I'm throwing it. And by the way, if I just hit you in the head and you're offended with me, you're new here. And you say, I went to church and the dude threw seeds at us. It's a weird church, man. I am sorry about that. I hope you get the point, okay? All right. But mustard seeds are tiny. They're tiny. And, and I have right here, thank you, Rachel Eklund. This is one of Rachel's starters for homemade sourdough that she's making. And it's, it's slowly rising and it's getting ready to become, and this isn't one of her loaves, unfortunately, but this right here becomes this. And that, that's what's so profound. And in fact, uh, the, the principle that we see in the Bible all the time about the kingdom of heaven is that God delights in working through things that we consider small. He loves to just take, you know, unknown people, unknown places. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a little backwater town outside of Jerusalem that nobody cared about other than the fact that the prophets had said the Messiah would be born there. And he's done that all through history. He's worked in small places and in insignificant places with insignificant people. And that's what he delights in doing. He likes to confound the world because we live in a world and especially a nation. Maybe, maybe no nation in history has been like the United States in that we really esteem only that which is bigger, faster, better. And we talk about that all the time. And we don't see the paradox of God's kingdom that God likes to confound the wise and the powerful 
by using things that we consider foolish and weak. This is what God does. And so as we look at this today, I, I want to break down this parable and just share some principles with you. And the first thing that Jesus says is the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he says a mustard seed and yeast. Let's talk about the kingdom of heaven today. What is the kingdom of heaven for us? Because when most of us think about heaven, we think about a place out there, right? It's distant. It's far away. As I shared with you last, last week, I do not believe that the kingdom of heaven is distant and far away. If we could have our eyes opened and see the way that God wants us to see, if I could take a zipper right here, if there was a zipper between planes and between places, between earth and heaven, and I could zip this down and open it up, you would see that we're surrounded by another world. We're surrounded by angels, by demons, by God by God's ways, all around us we'd see that there's a spiritual realm and heaven is at hand. It's not distant, it's not far away. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in the Bible are the same. God is the king, heaven is the country. That's the place that he hails from, right? Jesus is saying that God's kingdom has a quality, has the quality and the atmosphere of what he's about to show us in the parable. God's kingdom is where he is in charge. God's rule God's reign, his atmosphere, his environment, his power. When Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom. He brought the atmosphere of God, the rule, the reign of God. He brought himself. In fact, here's the reality. The kingdom is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. So when Jesus preached, I don't know if you know this, but the very first message he ever preached was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he saying? Repent in the Bible is not a negative word like we make it. It's a very positive word. It's the word, it's the Greek word metanoia, and it means change your mind, change your thinking, and begin to think a different way. You're moving in this way. You're moving toward darkness and ignorance, and you can't see clearly, and you don't understand, and all you see is your world around you, and your challenges, and your difficulties, and your pain. But there's another world. There's another way of looking at things, seeing things. There is another kingdom, and what I want you to do is turn away from that and turn to my way of thinking. And as you think as I want you to think, you begin to feel as I feel, and you'll begin to make choices. You'll choose. Your will will change. Your mind, your will your emotions will be transformed and you'll start doing things like heaven does them. You'll think like heaven. You'll act as heaven would. And so Jesus said, repent, turn around, think my way, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the, that Greek phrase means literally within reach. And while he was saying that, he was healing sick people, casting demons out, speaking with truth that had never been heard before. Truth with authority that changed people's minds. So as he spoke, the kingdom happened around him because he's the king. See, the kingdom isn't just something that's going to come during the millennial reign or during a time after Jesus' return. The kingdom began, it was planted in the earth when he walked onto earth's stage. In fact, to some measure, it was already beginning before that. And he started to demonstrate it, and through time, as it grows and expands, it fills the earth more and more through people. The kingdom of heaven will ultimately triumph over all other kingdoms and over all evil and all darkness. And that's what he said to receive. That's what he said to reach out and grasp and to touch. Can I get an amen in this room? 
And then he said this, the kingdom of heaven is like, most of us would be, no, the kingdom of heaven is like a steamroller. The kingdom of heaven is powerful. It's like a nuke. That's the way we would think. And he says, oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Yeast. That's weird. How is that? You know, mustard seeds are tiny, as I just demonstrated by throwing them at you. Nobody, nobody got hurt, right? Okay, good. Um, yeast also gets lost. It gets lost as it penetrates into flour and dough. The tiny seed is like the kingdom. The, the yeast is like the kingdom. This is the paradox of the kingdom. The small and insignificant things and people that God uses matter and they make a huge difference. And we just often can't see it. The thing that's struck me over the course of my own life is how people that um, spoke into my life, mentored me, trained me, have crossed my path. The ones that have died and that have gone on, I find they're still talking to me. I don't mean their spirits are coming visiting me. Don't, don't, don't get weird on me now, okay? <laughs> that's bad theology. By the way, if you ever think that spirits of people that you love that have passed on are talking to you, they're not talking to you. That's not them. Okay, so I just want to make that clear. That's bad theology, okay? They're either, they're with the Lord or somewhere else right? They're not present on earth any longer. Spirits depart the earth and they go other places, okay? So just to be clear on that. But they're still speaking to me. They're speaking to me in their example. They're speaking to me in the words they said to me. They're speaking to me in the spirit of the person that they were. And what I mean by that is, is something of their attitude, of their character, of the environment around them, of what they created in my life, the way they loved me, the way they spoke encouragement to me. That is still speaking to me to this day. That influence continues because all of us, the influence of God in our life continues long after our death. Even after we're gone, God's still working with the little bit that we gave him. If we let him, if we get in that habit of saying yes to God on a continual basis, amen? Amen. Next, it says a man and a woman took these two things, a mustard seed and yeast. And I think that's significant. It's significant that Jesus used both a man and a woman in this parable. See, his kingdom on earth started with a man and a woman in a garden. They were to govern the earth and take dominion over all of creation. Men and women are both so important in God's kingdom plan on earth. God wants to fill the earth with his rule, his reign, his atmosphere and environment, and it takes both men and women to do that, right? We complement each other. We show the full nature and character of God. When the Bible says that God created man and woman, in his image and likeness, he says to us in that image that both male and female show us the character and the nature of God. And when male and female come under the rule of God and the reign of God and they begin to function as they were created to function, we see a picture of God on planet earth through people. And so it's really, really powerful that he used a a couple of stories that had both a man and a woman in it to demonstrate to us the nature of the kingdom. And they planted it either in a field or mixed it in flour. This is also significant. Seeds have to be planted in the earth to work. We have to bury them and let them die so they can grow. And when we see the gospel all through this, Jesus had to die on a cross and be buried before he could rise again in resurrection life and change the world. And it's the same way with a seed. A seed has to be buried. I mean, no matter how much we try, I can't put the seed out on this table and hope, and even if I leave it there for 10 years, if I come back and nobody messes with this table, that seed is still going to be there. 
It must be buried. It must go through its death process in order to reproduce. And seed, excuse me, yeast, it doesn't work unless it interacts with something else and gets absorbed and lost in it. And that's the nature of the kingdom. So many of us, you know, we, in our lives, we fight to be recognized, to be noticed, to, to get what we want. And because of our grasping and struggling all the time, it, it kind of works the opposite. It's the paradox of the kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, if you want to live, you have to die. You got to take up your cross if you want resurrection life. You can't grasp and say, mine, you have to let go in order to find that's the way it works. It's the opposite. It's the paradox. And so many of us, you know, we just, our whole life is about grasping and struggling and trying to get our own way. And, and we do it in our marriages and in all of our relationships. And if, if we've just learned sometimes to die, to yield, to let it go, you would find that life comes. Am I talking to anybody? The kingdom has to be planted in hearts and have a chance to die, it has to interact with other humans to grow and to work. That's the nature of the kingdom. And then Jesus says that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds and just a little yeast. And in that part of the world at that time, it probably was. I think there are a few seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed, but not many. These things are tiny, right? And, and what we see here again, God loves to take little things and grow them into wonderful expressions of his power and his grace, right? And, you know, it's interesting. Yeast is absorbed and it seems to disappear until it works through the dough and causes it to rise. And, you know, this is going to turn into something really beautiful and yummy that I'm hoping someday I'll get to experience. <laughs> a little plug there. A little plug. Yeah, she, I can imagine Rachel's like, well, you just write a check and it'll all be good, <laughs> or Venmo. <laughs> okay. So. Um, the ESV study Bible says this. It's really interesting. It, it says, Jesus uses the metaphor of yeast, which usually has a negative connotation in scripture, to symbolize the positive hidden permeation of the kingdom of heaven in the world. The kingdom is indeed active, though not fully visible to the world, because it begins with an inner transformation of the heart. Can I just tell you something? If you let the news and the internet inform your view of what's happening on planet Earth, you're going to be depressed. If you let those sources, you know, there's a, there's a text in the book of Revelation, it's really interesting, in the 12th chapter, chapter, there's a woman, and she's pregnant, and she's about to give birth, and a dragon, which is Satan, is over her to consume the child. And the chi and God intervenes, and and, uh, you know, the, the woman is, the, the child is born, the dragon can't get the child, and the woman is, you know, caught away. And what it, what it goes on to say is that the dragon, he vomited, he spewed all this stuff toward the woman and the child, but the earth opened up and swallowed that. But there's a lot there, there's a lot of symbolism there. But the bottom line is, is the dragon is always spewing his garbage, and we have to understand something. Unless we know something different to counteract that, we will be caught up in the spew. His vomit will overwhelm us. And so we have to understand there's another story going on, and it's not all the dark, negative, sad, bad stuff you see continually in media, both mainstream and alternate. 
The other side of the coin is, is there's a kingdom story in here. And it's the story of a seed and yeast that's going through the earth. And it's growing and it's, it's, it's gaining momentum, not weakening. The kingdom of heaven is growing and there's a greater and greater revelation of Jesus Christ on planet earth than ever before. You know, right today in the Middle East with all that's happening, with all the pain and the loss and the sorrow, there's never been a time in history where more Jews are coming to faith in Messiah Jesus than right now. All around the world, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and turning toward the kingdom. We don't see that many times. Okay, I got to hurry. Say, help him, Lord. Next, it, what does it do? It grows into a tree for birds or it becomes bread for many. Think about that. Mustard seeds grow to become large bushes that are like a small tree, anywhere from about six feet tall to 20 feet tall. There's actually been a recorded mustard seed bush that was 30 feet tall, right? And birds can make their homes within the branches and find shelter and safety. Mustard is also powerful in its ability to flavor and season things. The amount of yeast spread through 50 or 60 pounds of dough at that time would have fed 100 to 150 people. So the parable, Jesus is saying, she put a little bit of yeast into these measures of flour and she made this dough and it could feed 100 to 150 people. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God started small when Jesus lived, died, and rose again to start his church in a little backwater part of the Roman Empire known as Judea. It was the one place that Roman governors and other under kings, the ones who were under Caesar, when Caesar was ready to promote somebody, those who were up for promotion would be saying, they'd be praying like this to their gods, oh, Zeus, please don't let me go to Judea. That's backwater. Nobody wants to go there. And yet that's where God worked and works. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? Right? He is growing his rule, his reign, and atmosphere inside human hearts to establish his kingdom on earth. And he does this through us in our preaching of his word, his good news, our love, our good works, his power over sin, sickness, death. When we pray for the sick and they get healed, when we share Christ with someone, when, when any of those things happen through us, it's an expression of a growing kingdom. We are adding to the building program, as it, was, as it were, of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that takes me to my final point that I'm wrapping up that I started with, and this is what I shall end with. God's kingdom starts small, but grows large and penetrates through everything and permeates everything. God wants to establish his kingdom. And here's the beautiful thing. The kingdom of heaven starts in you. You're the dough. You're the soil, right? He wants to plant his kingdom inside of you. We talk all the time, you know, we, we say it here in our kind of churches that a person in order to become a follower of Jesus must be born again. The Greek phrase could also be born from above or born anew, a new birth, a second birth. Right, you have to go through that. And that starts when God's truth, God's word, gets planted in a human heart that is opened up in faith. And that heart of faith receives that word and the kingdom begins to grow in them. Right? One heart at a time. Because God wants an inside-out kingdom. 
He wants a kingdom not of forced conversions. You know, every time in history that Christianity got off track, and this isn't real Christianity. This isn't the Christianity of Jesus. This is the false Christianity of Christendom, the Christianity of power. But anytime the church has got off track is when it's decided we need power, we need to rule over people, and people either need to be converted or die or be punished. And listen, we got to admit that when people bring that stuff up, we got to be like, you're right. But you need to know something. That's not what Jesus preached. That's not what the apostles preached. That was men hungry for power who hijacked the Christian gospel in order to have power, and they used that power to oppress, and that's not the kingdom of heaven, and that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God starts in the human heart through the preaching of the word and the acts of love and grace toward people through preaching righteousness and truth. And as that enters into the human heart and people begin to believe, they change from the inside out and are transformed. Right? So at the beginning I shared with you, Zechariah 4.10, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise the small beginnings. You know, I, I'm going to wrap this up by talking just directly to you. Where are you today? Where are you? Do you feel insignificant? Do you feel like it, it ain't working? Your great grand plan for your life, it didn't work. It's not working. And, you know, maybe like nothing's counting, nothing is impacting and you're frustrated, and you, you feel maybe even passed by, forgotten, like God, you know, moved on, and you're not there with Him. What I want to tell you, what I want to appeal with you about is that your life counts, your little bit matters, and if you begin to get in the habit, as we heard from Rachel about Drew's life, if you begin to get in the habit about saying yes, to him, to his reign, his rule in your life. Quit fighting, God. Quit resisting. Quit being stubborn. You know, that's what I say to myself. Why? Because we're, we're missing out on the best stuff. We think if we grasp onto our life and we fight for what we want, you know, and, and the big mantra in our culture is look out for number one. But I'm telling you, that's not kingdom. Kingdom isn't look out for number one. Right? It's that He would fill us, possess us. So some of us in this room, we've been searching for significance and meaning, and we think we're going to find it in a relationship or a bottle or something we smoke or shoot up or whatever. Right? We think we're going to get significance in sex or power or money. We think all those things are going to fulfill us, and, the, and what we find is the more we grasp, the emptier we become. But I'm telling you, when you let the kingdom come into your life and permeate every part of you, and God begins to build in you what you were created for. And I'll tell you a quick testimony. This weekend, Friday, I jumped on an airplane, flew to San Francisco, went to my class reunion. I've never been to one. My 40th. Yes, I'm old. You're doing the math. I know you're doing the math right now. You're like, oh, wow. I know you think I don't look a day over 40. I get it, but I'm just kidding. So I went to my reunion. 
And um, I haven't seen a lot of these people in a really long time. And I was nervous. And, I, and I, before I went, I was on the airplane and I was, I was praying and I was reading scripture and I felt like the Lord just said, you know, basically what my impression was, listen, don't make judgments. Listen, love people, you know, basically watch what I'm going to do. And by the end of the night, I probably had close to half a dozen people say, because I was wild. As a wild child, it's very broken. And they're like, you're a pastor? Tell me about that. Tell me your story. And I got to share my testimony. I got to tell them, my mom had me at 15. My dad was a drug addict and in and out of jail continually. Right, I got separated from him at five years old. I was raised around a lot of darkness. As a teenager, my life began to come apart. My family began to come apart. My parents were in the midst of a divorce and there was darkness everywhere. I got into a lot of dark stuff. And at age 19, I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus changed me. And then I'd brag about my wife, my children, my three granddaughters, show them pictures. Not to say, look at what a great, prosperous, blessed life you can have, because I've also been through great loss and discouragement and suffering, and it's been difficult at times. But to just be able to make big of Jesus, that's the kingdom planted in a heart, make big of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something, I came away like, Lord, you're so faithful. First of all, thank you. I don't know if somebody from my class might be watching this. If you are, thank you for loving me and accepting me and being friendly to me. But people were kind and friendly and open, but I got to tell them about Jesus because he's the best, the biggest, the greatest ever, right? And it started with a little seed that got planted in a 19-year-old's heart, a rebel an angry 19-year-old with a family falling apart got to be loved by the God of the universe and called son. Amen. Amen.